I kind of remember just hearing through the grapevine, you know, there was some hesitation and there was some concern because they had had people in the past try to join or who had been on the team that were in Greek life and that didn't work out. They had people who were RAs, resident advisors that Mm -hmm. were part of the team and that didn't work out. And then they also had people that were business majors on the team and that didn't work out. So here comes me, who's all three of those. Hello, welcome to Statement Mondays, where we explore how different women harness their identities at work. I'm your host, Natalie Munster, and if you need a reason to be bold today, here it is. Today is Statement Monday. Our guest today is Emma Kalajian, who is a user interface and experience designer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. So for short, she's UIUX at NASA's JPL. And, get this, she's on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for 2021 Enterprise Tech. Get ready for a jam-packed interview where she takes us into the world of working at an engineering company, but not being an engineer. She lives to prove people wrong about who she is and what she knows and what she likes. And in this interview, you'll also hear her emphasize why it's important to bring out your masculine and feminine sides at the right time in order to both connect with coworkers and protect yourself from them. And as always, stick around after the interview to hear my top takeaways on what she talks about. Let's jump in. Could you please introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is MSH Klesian. I am a user interface designer at the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. And on my weekends, I'm also a content creator for Autoconduct. Oh, very cool. And I I know what the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab is, but what is Autoconduct? Yeah, so Autoconduct is essentially a media platform. And no pun intended, we're geared towards um, (laughs) basically just providing a safe haven and a space for people who just usually their voices go unheard in the automotive industry, right? So women of color, people of color, women as a whole, just anybody who feels like they want to kind of be heard in that space, we want to give them. Uh, the opportunity to do so. Wow. I love that initiative. And I'm excited (laughs) to see or to hear where that comes into play in the rest of this interview too. Um, My first question is right to the point right away. I want to know who you are. What is your public identity? Yeah. So I would say if I had to sort of, I guess if I sort of had to characterize what public identity do I feel like I am or what do I want to be? Mm-hmm. I would kind of summarize it as the L Woods of the automotive industry. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> L Woods, just... like legally blonde L Woods. That's great. Oh yeah. Bend and oh. snap. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I just, I love that movie. I was obsessed with that movie when it came out and I resonate with her a lot. You know, I'm super feminine. I love pink. I love anything sparkly. I was in a sorority too, but you know, outside of that, I'm also not to toot my own horn, but like, I'm smart. I love software. I love technology. I love philosophy, you know, all of these things that maybe at first glance, I might not seem like I'm so interested in all these really in-depth topics. Mm-hmm. I very much resonate with that. I am also very feminine and was also in a sorority, but here I am working in software engineering. So yeah, and it's it's kind of unexpected, right? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I feel like and I mean this in the best way possible, but I feel like sometimes when I introduce myself to people and I say, hi, my name is Emma and I work for NASA, I kind of get this little like, oh, that's funny. I, I didn't think she would say that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And are you, you know, when you get a little oh, response from people, are you proud of that? Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. A thousand percent. You know, that saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of experiences recently too, where it's that saying has kind of come to be. And so it's really, it's fun for me to sort of, um, in my own small way, kind of contribute to that. Nice. Very cool. Well, can you tell me a little bit about why you really enjoy proving people wrong in your appearance versus when you start talking who you are? Hmm. You know, that's always just been part of my energy as I've always been just naturally, I've been very outspoken and very driven to just try for the next biggest thing. You know, once I hit a target, I say, okay, great. What's, what's even bigger than that? How much farther can we go? It's like a game. And then I think that energy kind of actually, it kind of adds fuel to the fire when I meet people who maybe talk down or, or kind of intimidate and, you know, say like, well, okay, sweetheart, you know, good luck with that. Um, you know, it, it kind of just motivates me that much more to do it. And it's sort of like, if you try to tell me that there's no way in hell I'm ever going to climb that tree, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and climb it all the way to the top. I'm going to toss you down an apple just to show you that I can. Oh, I love it. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> so then what is it like at work for you? So you said you are a user interface, user experience, UI, UX, both designer. Yeah. So I do UI design at the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. And honestly, my staff and my teammates are just awesome. Um, some of my coworkers now are like my closest friends. They're like family oh, to me. Wow. And I know that sounds really cheesy to say, but I think honestly, you know, it's really rare and it's really special when you find people that you click with and you connect with. And not only are they good teammates and you trust them in the work sense, like you trust they're going to get it done, but you can also just trust them as a friend. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's really been something that's helped me get through the pandemic too, is just, we'll have like our standup calls and Mm -hmm. it'll be like, you know, the first 10, 20 minutes we'll check in. And then after that, we can kind of like goof around and it's just nice to know that your job doesn't have to be all work all the time. How do you think you found this? How did you find yourself in such a team that you really click with the people? Because that's, it's pretty rare. Yeah, it is rare. Um, Honestly, I like to think that nothing in life is accidental. And if there's anything I've learned as much as I want to be the pilot in my life, I'm just a passenger, Mm. you know? (laughs) And so I think, I think as much as I want to take credit sometimes and say like, well, I found it because blah, blah, blah. Like, no, there's actually a lot of times where, you know, God or the universe or whatever you, you connect with has a plan for you and is going to kind of help you get there and show you that the destination that they're going to take you to is so much better than anything you thought you could do. And so sometimes you just kind of have to kind of be passive in that way and just sort of allow things to happen. Wow. I um, went to a talk once where the speaker was speaking on how luck is learnable and it's just by being open and being willing to accept things that come your way that you are a lucky person uh, and that good things happen to you. So maybe that is a little bit similar to what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think part of it is kind of having this like, I guess the word would just be perseverance, you know, and mm-hmm. being able to find silver linings in situations and say, you know what, this didn't turn out exactly how I was planning it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. We can work with this. Yeah. So then back to your work, what does that mean to you to be a UI UX designer? Oh, yes. Going back to our original question. You know what? So I think I think if I take a step back, so I kind of have these two different these two different jobs, right? But I think overall what I would define the career 
as kind of the overarching bubble. Mm-hmm. I would say um, I like to describe myself as an auto arrow UX designer, kind of a hybrid. Mm-hmm. And by that, I sort of mean I've really had a, a great time kind of learning about UX design in both of those fields. Because um, mm-hmm. pri- prior to graduating, a lot of my experience was in automotive. So that's kind of where it started. And now that I kind of have these two different projects or these two different jobs that I'm doing, it's been really fun just to kind of be able to bring those two together and kind of understand, you know, how does aerospace, how does UX design in aerospace now, how's that going to influence automotive, you know, 10 Mm -hmm. years from now? Wow. Very cool. And I'll add one other thing too. So I guess if I had, if someone were to ask me like, what do you do though? So I guess I would say with JPL, I do um, a lot of app design, a lot of process design, and it's really kind of it's really kind of a bunch of different projects. Um, and while unfortunately I can't really talk about what those projects are specifically, mm-hmm. I can say that the learning experience I've had is just unreal because you're surrounded by these people who are total rock stars in the field. And they're just these like gold mines of knowledge. And so I'm around like my mentors, for example, who are just amazing. And I learned so much from them and I get to apply that into my projects. And so that's sort of where I do the most technical application of what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And then I would say with autoconduct, it's more about writing about the things I've learned. How does that impact industry and kind of appealing more to those fringe automotive enthusiasts? So maybe mm-hmm. younger girls, for example, girls in middle school, high school, mm-hmm. college, um, who might have an interest in something like this, but there hasn't really been someone who's super feminine like they are to kind of say, hey, like, do you want to learn about how powertrain works? Do you want to learn about like why carbon fiber was the material we used here? you know, come hang out with me and let's talk about it. Wow. I mean, it sounds like what you're passionate about and what your job is really goes beyond your literal description of designing interface and experience. You really want to reach a lot of different audiences in a bigger way. Yeah, I'm incredibly blessed and incredibly lucky that I have a job that I so love and I'm so passionate about right at the gate. And so I, I take that and I try to just run with it as much as I can and say, okay, now what What else can I do with this? Like, how else mm-hmm. can I reach out to people? And how can I turn my job into a passion project, right? And really mm-hmm. make an impact. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think that, I don't know, like your childhood even, or just growing up school, how do you think that all of that has culminated into the career path that you're currently on? Or I don't, like, how did that come about? Yeah, so growing up, um, so my parents are very different. So my mom is very, very creative. She is the most amazing piano player I've ever met in my whole life. And then my Mm -hmm. dad is, he's an engineer. So he's very logical and very STEM oriented um, and very much, you know, let's, let's figure out what the box is. And then my mom comes in and says, let's knock over the box. (laughs) (laughs) So very interesting pair. Kind of that mishmash of things together, I think just pushed me right out the gate to sort of try out a bunch of different things and just find something that I'm passionate about because my parents mm-hmm. were both passionate about what they did. Yeah. So growing up, I think I was probably five or six years old when I first noticed that I was into cars. That's young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. And that one's weird because I don't think I knew anybody who had that interest. My parents definitely weren't into it. Um, I actually kind of thought I was I almost thought there was like something wrong with me at first because like mm-hmm. I thought that was sort of the equivalent of like being fascinated by toasters you know like I wasn't sure if that was if that was a thing or not and so I remember at the time I was playing um I was playing punch buggy with with my friends in the car we were six 
And instead of playing like the normal way you play it, I was going by the taillights because it was at night. And so I was like, oh, okay, like go by the swirly taillights. And if you see that, you know, you win. And my friends just kind of looked at me and they were like, okay, so go find the yellow car. Like Like, they were like, no, we're not going to play that. Um, So I feel like that was kind of the first time I remember being interested in it, but I really didn't pique that interest until college. Mm. So just kind of growing up, I remember I really stuck with kind of the more feminine things, right? And I think part of that was my parents because they were super traditional. So, you know, I did ballet, I did piano, which was great. You know, I did Girl Scouts and I really loved doing all those things, but I just didn't really feel like I didn't, I didn't have a mentor or someone older to kind of say, Hey, you know, do you want to check out cars? Do you want to check out software? Do you want to check out one of these other things? Mm-hmm. But yeah. So then when I was in high school, I feel like that interest came back a little stronger and I did make friends in high school that were interested in it, but they were all the like muscle car guys. <laughs> Imagine young Emma with all the muscle car guy, like uh, as right. your friend group, as your squad. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an interesting sight. Um, they're they're good friends of mine to this day. But I just remember, even so, like I still felt kind of intimidated in that space. And like mm. when you're, you know, when you're 15 years old, you're not self confident enough yet mm-hmm. to kind of break through that space on your own. I feel, or if you do, it's super rare. Yeah. Good for you if you can do that. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I feel like I didn't really find the space to let that flourish until I came to college. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Cal Poly Pomona. And when I was there, I made friends who were kind of more in that automotive space. And I met a few girls who were also into it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of the first time when I got a little more, I guess, below surface level with the car scene. Feeling comfortable enough to go to a car show, for example, go to a car meet, go meet other people. Um, but beyond even that, you know, learn how cars work and learn mm-hmm. about the history and talk about it with other people. And so that's kind of when I stumbled upon the Cal Poly Formula Society of Automotive Engineers. And yeah, you um, mentioned you're part yeah. of that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was an interesting experience too. That was the best learning experience I could ever have asked for in college. Um, so the way it works is usually you'll spend a year as a quote unquote new member, or they'll kind of call it a new guy, right? So like new guy, new girl, whatever, you'll kind of spend a year coming to the engineering lab, what they call the shop. And you'll, you'll come out and help the team members, the people that are actually on the team, you'll kind of just help them out with whatever projects they give you, because they're all trying to come together and literally build a Formula One style race car. Wow. Does it actually race in a race or Formula One? Or Yeah, girl. Wow. That's <laughs> wild. Wait, so you were part of this. What what was the club called again? Yeah. So it's called the Formula Society of Automotive Engineers. So, but you mentioned you're not an engineer, right? No. Yeah. And I always, <laughs> I always like to disclaim that. So my major was business administration with an emphasis in computer information systems. So again, so I never wanted to be an engineer. I also kind of discovered through like projects I was doing with that team I also discovered I would not be very good as a manufacturing engineer. I'd probably have three fingers right now if I, if oh, I was. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a chance to try it out with this glove, and it was you, you realized that that was not the path that you were destined to go down. <laughs> okay. Correct. Not my thing. Um, but I did have a huge appreciation for it. And you know, part of that comes from just like my dad being an engineer. But so predominantly what I was actually doing on the team, there's a sales presentation and there's a manufacturing plan. And so those were 
kind of more the things that I was responsible for. And I had one other teammate who was also a business major. And so he and I, you know, he and I would work together. And that one I almost feel like was more pressure because the engineering side, they all get to work together. My partner had one event that he did 100%. And then I had one event that I did 100%. So, um, wow. Yeah. That's so a that lot of responsibility. Was, <laughs> it was a lot of responsibility, but I loved it. Oh my gosh. Like, I love that sort of Shark Tank, like sink or swim, figure it out kind of environments. And that mm-hmm. was absolutely what Formula was. So wow. it was probably the biggest learning experience that I've had when it comes to really just learning technically, like how cars work and how the industry works. Wow. Okay. And then earlier, when we started talking, you mentioned that you got, you've gotten to try out a lot of different things. Can you speak a little bit about what you tried, like how you got into a cycle of just trying a bunch of things or how that worked? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I was in high school, I was in a long-term relationship. And at the time I wasn't really, I wasn't really in self-discovery mode yet. It was more so about everyone else, mm-hmm. right? And so then we kind of just came to a natural end when we got to college. And that was kind of the first time in like three years where I was really by myself and I was single. And I kind of, I remember one day I was like brushing my teeth or something. And I just had this weird philosophical, like 7 a.m. moment, you know. And I just kind of looked at myself and I was like, you know what? I got myself into college. I don't know what I want to do, but this is me time. and. Yes. This is my launch pad. So yeah. go figure it out. That's awesome. And do you think you were able to figure that out? Yeah. Or are you still looking? I think I figured it out. Um, but I think it only came I think it only came at this time in my life because I tried so many things in college. I probably was sleeping like four hours a night. Wow. Um <laughs> so you don't need to do that. <laughs> it's fine if you don't want to do that. But there is something um, but, to be yeah. said about just using it as a way to just test everything. and Oh, totally. And figuring yeah. out your priorities. Yeah, it was really important to me. And I honestly, I think because I'm so stubborn and like I'm such a fiery personality, I think a big part of the motivation was like, I think, again, going back to the judging a book by its cover, mm-hmm. I kind of struggled with um, what they call getting added to the team. So basically, at the end of the year, towards the springtime, the team all gets together and decides you know, who's been coming to the shop the most, who do we think has good potential to like carry the team into next year because people graduate every year. Yeah. And so I kind of remember just kind of hearing through the grapevine, you know, there was sort of, there was some hesitation and there was some concern because they had had people in the past try to join or who had been on the team that were in Greek life and that didn't work out. Mm. Um, They had people who were RAs, resident advisors that Mm -hmm. were part of the team and that didn't work out. And then they also had people that were business majors on the team and that didn't work out. So here comes me, who's all three of those. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, perfect storm. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I don't blame them for kind of, you know, being worried about that or thinking like, absolutely not. We've Mm -hmm. already, we like, we have the experience of this. We already know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of my motivation was just, I love proving people wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that was a big reason why I also stuck around is because there was just this energy in me that was like, okay, you can sit back and watch then. Like, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to impress you at some point. And if I don't, I'm still not going to go away. So (laughs) (laughs) Go you. Snaps to you. (laughs) Oh, thanks. And um, earlier when we were just talking, you mentioned that you're really passionate about sharing your experience with 
how to get into aerospace when you're not particularly technical. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, okay. So kind of a funny story. So I didn't even have JPL on my radar when I was applying for jobs. And that was mainly just because I just didn't really think they hired, you know, 23 year olds out of college who were business majors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, would, I would not have thought so either. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, and so I remember I went to a career fair at Cal Poly. I think this was like October, November. Um, and I remember I was just kind of walking around and kind of seeing the different tables. And I met this awesome gal who's a recruiter and she was a recruiter for JPL. And so she and I started talking and I told her the same thing. I was like, I got to be honest, you know, I didn't think you guys would be looking for college grads, you know, business majors, blah, blah, blah. And she kind of looks at me and she goes, wait, you're a business major. And I said, yeah. And she goes, that's exactly what we're looking for right now. Wow. Why? Yeah. <laughs> like, can, I, can I ask why? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, sure, I did. So basically, she was recruiting specifically for this business rotation program, which was really awesome. So basically, it's a six-month program. And so you're a full-timer out the gate. But basically, what happens is those first six months, you're spending a month in each of the different groups in the business side. And then at the end of those six months, they say, okay, great. You know, which one of the groups did you like? You know, what position do you actually want to do? Which is unreal. I mean, to imagine, imagine graduating from college and NASA is asking you, what do you want to do? You get to pick. I mean, that's like, I, I can't even believe I got that opportunity. And, um, yeah, so she and I hit it off and she gave me her card and it kind of just blossomed from there, you know, met other recruiters and we just kept in touch, went through the interview process. And I just didn't think they were looking for business majors, but then not only that, you know, JPL has musicians, we have artists, we have photographers, you know. Wow, um, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we have all different types of folks who have so many different passions and so many different skill sets. Yeah. And I think that's what makes that company so great is that it's just this big melting pot of knowledge. Wow. And they can use those different skill sets in their roles, too. They don't just kind of conform into a little box once they get there. Yeah. I mean, you know, JPL has photography, right? So someone has to be taking those pictures, for example. And like, it's one of those things where once you think about it, it's like, oh, duh, of course they have a photographer, (laughs) like, who's taking the pictures, you know? Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think at first glance, it's one of those things that I think there's a, I think there's a stigma that certain industries call for certain majors. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true these days. I think maybe they call for certain interests and certain knowledge. Hmm. but you know, knowledge can always, we learn something new every day. So just because you might not know a hundred percent everything about, you know, let's say software engineering, right. And you want to work at Google. Um, I think a big part of it is have the passion for it and be able to demonstrate, Hey, I'm a quick learner and I want to be here and I'm a team player. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a big part of it too, is just apply anyway. Even if you don't think that you fit into that box, I would actually argue that not fitting into the box is probably your best asset. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. I think we need to find ways to break open the box more and more and show that instead of showing how we fit in. Um, so yeah, I guess what you're saying is there's something to be said for not selling yourself short and not already ruling yourself out for opportunities that you think you might not fit based on what other people have put forth. Yes. And you know, it's such a hard thing it's such a hard thing to think about, you know, cause it's, I think it's natural, especially when we're young, right. It's, mm-hmm. it's natural to come into a situation and 
trust your elders and trust your peers to kind of tell you this is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think to an extent that's definitely appreciated from the information standpoint. Right. But I think also as people that are, you know, under 30 years old, people that are brand new, something that we bring to the table is we have such a fresh perspective. Yeah. And so I think being able to, you know, come in and understand, you know, hey, these are my responsibilities. But then beyond that, kind of just being able to ask yourself, well, what else do I want to do? And kind of just going for it. People Mm -hmm. are going to follow the tone that you set. You know, if you're, if you're walking around in your pajamas all day long, no one's going to come up to that person and say, Hey, you know what? You'd look like you'd be the greatest next president of the United States. Do you want to go ahead and do that? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, it's, it's like dress for the job you want. You know, exactly. you have to believe in yourself. You want to be the president. So you're going to start setting your best foot forward and, and behaving in such a way that a future president might. And that's how someone else is going to pick up that signal and say, Oh, gee, you know what? That person would make a really good president. Let's pause here. Okay, so I thought of this next line while listening to Emma talk, and I've been really excited to share it. So if there's any screenwriters listening, you now have the content for an amazing sequel for Legally Blonde, a spinoff that absolutely needs to be called Technically Blonde. Okay, I thought this was hilarious. I don't know if you did. But anyway, just to summarize what we've talked about so far... Emma has always kind of been a car person, but never on the actual engineering side. And she got a job at NASA, despite what she thought was a stigma that some industries call for only certain majors. So I want to help debunk this right now. My manager at work just told me that there's software engineers at the Guggenheim Museum and the Met in New York. That is so freaking cool. Honestly, might be my next career move. But whether it's business development majors or photographers at NASA or an engineer at an art museum, you can't discount yourself as eligible to work somewhere just based on the roles it appears to mainly hire for. Plus, if you see a need at a company and they don't have a role for it, pitch yourself and create that role. Remember episode 9 with Kate Park, where she talked about creating the first product manager role on Tesla's autopilot team? Yeah, great example. Why not? So up next, we have a pretty intense story of how Emma learned to use her masculine and feminine sides thoughtfully and at the right times. And she also says what makes her a silent ninja. Let's jump back in. I would also love to know how you bring yourself to work. Like, what does that look like for you, whether it's your identity, how you dress? Yeah, that's a really good question, too. So I would say um, when I talk about, like, full identity or full self, to me, what that means is your your masculine energy and your feminine energy. Mm-hmm. Are you bringing both of those to work, and how much? What um, does and that so, mean? what does that mean? I guess you know. I think it's. I think feminine energy and masculine energy. I think it's something that we don't always realize we have both, and mm-hmm. it's okay to have both. You should have both, but you know, some people just tend to have one more over the other, and that's great. Um, And so I think, you know, feminine energy, for example, is being present, you know, being able to share your emotions, being able to connect with people and say, you know, I'm having a great time meeting you, like I'm having a great time interviewing with you. Mm -hmm. But then your masculine energy is that drive and that confidence and I guess sort of more of the kind of traditional like, quote unquote, boss energy. And so, you know, if I'm bringing myself to work, 
if I'm being honest, I tend to bring more of the masculine to work just because, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is just because, you know, your masculine energy is your protector, right? And so your, your masculine energy is going to protect the feminine and make sure that she has a safe space to connect with people and to express her emotions. Cause that's, that's a scary thing to be vulnerable, right? And I don't think you can have that kind of trust with a coworker unless you are vulnerable with them and you do connect with them. And so you want to make sure that you're doing that in a safe space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so usually, you know, so usually I bring my masculine side to work and I will bring the feminine side out when it's appropriate or when I feel like it's safe to do so, which can be really tricky to do in such male dominated fields. Yeah. Um, and I also feel like too, something I've noticed is just when I've been starting out in different positions, you know, again, it's, it's been into my benefit to bring out the masculine side more because that's how I'm connecting with other predominantly masculine energies in the room. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then once you kind of have that connection with them and have that respect, that's when I felt safe enough to bring out the feminine side because I'm not being judged, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Or you've already proven, proven yourself almost. Does that come into it at all that you feel like you have to prove yourself and then you can bring out the rest of you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. I definitely feel like as a woman and, you know, also someone who has more of that uh, feminine energy predominantly, I definitely feel like there's, I feel like I have more to prove Mm -hmm. when I walk in the room just off the bat. Um, And that's not everybody, but I think part of it as well is it's still a cultural shift. And so we're still trying to define what the feminine energy, where, where that can fit Mm -hmm. in the automotive space, in the aerospace world. Part of it sometimes is just because there hasn't been that longstanding tradition of women are in aerospace and automotive, and this is what we do. Mm. And ideally, you know, I hope that in future generations, I hope future women and, and girls today will have to deal with that less and less. Yeah. And so before we started this interview, you also mentioned another instance where bringing yourself to work was maybe not advantageous. And we were talking about that. That was your experience being an RA, what is that, a residential advisor um, when you were in college. Yeah. So I definitely want to start off by saying, you know, to anyone who's starting off in their career, it's not going to be rainbows and butterflies all the time. There are going to be some opportunities where like stuff gets real. Mm. And I would say that's when the masculine side really comes in, comes in handy because the masculine side is your protector. And the masculine side is what's going to come in and basically stand up for you and say, absolutely not. You know, I'm not going to allow this to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I was a resident advisor. I think this was my junior year. You know, our staff just, sometimes you just get a bad mix and sometimes people don't get along and that's yeah. okay, but it's really hard to do that when your job and your living space coincide. Hmm. So kind of going back to bringing your whole self, I think also that's why boundaries are really important. And I don't bring my full self to work right off the bat mm-hmm. um, because I do think having access to your whole self is a privilege and that shouldn't just be given away to people. Cause that's also going to, that's putting you at risk for getting hurt too. So we had five RAs on the staff and then we had our uh, residence life coordinator. So she was our, our boss and she lived with us too. Um, but so something, something in her personal life started happening about halfway through the year. Mm-hmm. And there were times where she would kind of snap with us and kind of take things out on us. But, you know, things kind of started escalating to where I feel like it was becoming kind of a power struggle or a power trip. Uh, but yeah, so she knocks on my door and, you know, it's two in the morning. She says, I want you to hang up these posters 
And I said, oh, okay, no problem. Um, actually, our other RAs are on duty tonight. And I just thought maybe she got them mixed up. And then she kind of looks at me and goes, no, I want you to do it. Wow. That sounds like a power trip for sure. So how do you totally. respond? Honestly, I think I think that was when the masculine side kind of kicked in. And I, you know, I'm a take no BS mm-hmm. kind of personality. And I basically just said to her, you know, I'm happy to put up posters for you in the morning, but that's not urgent. And I'm going to bed, you know, because so I mean, no. yeah, I said no. I mean, it's and it's in our contract, too, that school comes first. I have a final in the morning. Like, this is ridiculous. So that was kind of where things started. And one day she calls me into her office and she hands me um, basically a probation letter that just says, you know, you're about to be kicked out. Um, I was one of two RAs that more or less stood up to her. And, you know, it was one of those situations where I just had a mental breakdown. I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to move out. This doesn't feel fair. You know, I spent three years trying to get to this job Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to get kicked out because we're not getting along. Like this doesn't feel right. Anyway, so I go talk to our housing director, which is her manager. And, you know, again, not trying to get anyone in trouble. I just was like, I don't know what to do. And he kind of just shrugs and was like, honestly, I'm switching departments next week. I don't really want to deal with this. Um, good luck. So you got your <laughs> first taste of business politics. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was real shit. This isn't even contractually following the system that we're supposed to be doing. And, you know, unfortunately, this was one of those times where it's sort of, okay, well, if you're going to go out for blood, then I'm going to go out for blood too and protect myself. And um, yeah, long story short, it it turned into this sort of messy, you know, HR case where everyone was getting interviewed and there's all this gossip now and back and forth. But my partner and I, we got to keep our jobs. Mm-hmm. Great. Good. <laughs> um, okay. You know, I definitely go by the mantra of like, be a good person, do good, go into something with the best intentions, but also take no shit. I like that. All right. So on a more positive note, <laughs> yeah. Could you tell me about a memorable moment that you felt invincible at work? Yeah, so there was a recent moment I felt invincible and it actually had nothing to do with work. Um, this was actually last year. I kind of just recognized that you hold all the keys, right? Ooh. I think like I think it's really common to kind of give away your keys without even knowing. Oh, how so? So, you know, for example, you know, oh, is that guy going to call me back? Mm-hmm. Oh, is that job going to call me back? Well, if I don't get that job, you know, I must be terrible at what I do. So on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of having that external validation, mm-hmm. right? And giving someone um, else the keys to your happiness. Is that kind of what you mean there? Yeah. Bingo. Um, and that's something I've been guilty of for the last whew, 25 years. Wow. <laughs> I'm the same. Um, it's it's not fun. Yeah. And, you know, it gets, shit gets old, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I remember just, I remember just thinking to myself, like, okay, so who cares if that guy doesn't call me back? You know, he doesn't, it's not personal, right? He doesn't know me or it doesn't matter if, if that job doesn't call me back and they don't want me, that's fine. Like they don't know you well enough for it to be personal. And I think sometimes we forget that and we try to find that validation through external things when really biggest plot twist of them all, you've had it within yourself the whole time. And so I think just realizing that is like, like biggest mind blower. So what was the circumstance around which this, you thought of this? I don't know. I think it was just, I don't even know if I had a specific instance. I think it was just sort of kind of just thinking to myself, like, wow, I'm really happy with what I do. And I'm really happy that I'm in this space. And 
I think someone just asked me, you know, what did you do to get here? And what did you do to, to get to this point? And when I was kind of telling the story in my head, it was, I was giving credit to everybody else and all the organizations I was a part of and all these different things. But, you know, at the end of the day, an organization is only going to value you as much as you value yourself. Yeah. Right. And so you can sit there and big. That's huge. Like people don't get that. I never learned that. Yeah. (laughs) It's so hard. And so the truth is, you know, you have those keys within yourself and yes, the organizations help you get there, but it's only helping you get there because of what you have inside of yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think just kind of realizing that you literally have all the keys is just the biggest game changer. And what's the biggest risk you've taken recently? Oh, moving to Nashville for sure. Oh my gosh. Yes. Tell me about that. So I talked to your, your friends before this, Hannah and Dalton, and they were like, Oh my gosh, Emma's the best. She just on her birthday, moved from LA to Nashville because yeah tell me a little bit about that so Hannah and I worked together as RAs and then Dalton and I were business majors together Mm. so they moved out here I think right around summertime and I remember like I came over and I gave them a hug goodbye and Hannah and I were both just kind of tearing up and we were like no like don't go (laughs) because she's one of my best friends you know yeah um but by the same token I was really happy for them and they they love it here I mean they love Nashville um I I really want to check it out sometime soon (laughs) oh my gosh girl come through I'll give you a tour amazing (laughs) I'm so Uh, in I take people up on offers (laughs) so careful (laughs) yeah yeah come on through but yeah so so they moved they moved here about early summertime and so at the time I was living in downtown Pasadena which is near Los Angeles and we were still in quarantine I was in my studio apartment. I think I made a silver lining out of 2020 the best that I could. I I tried to spend that whole year just like learning how to meditate and trying to get in good shape, you know, things like that. But then towards the end of the year, I was just kind of bored and was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done self-improving now. (laughs) I'm over it. Um, But yeah. And so I just, I kind of got to this point where I was like, I mean, all I'm doing is sitting on the couch, working from home. I can sit on any couch. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's go to Nashville and sit on a couch out there. Wow. That is a big risk. You just, I mean, did you, did you give up your apartment entirely in LA? Yeah. So pretty much moved all my stuff back into my dad's place. Just put, you know, all my things in my high school room. Yeah. And then moved out here. Didn't even have an apartment figured out. Wow. Just kind of went with the flow, which is something I've never done. I'm literally so type A, it hurts. (laughs) (laughs) literally pushing myself outside of my comfort zone where I don't have my planner. I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Just figure it out. Okay. And this is my, uh, my favorite question. So I want to know, you've had some great one-liners, some great beliefs you, you live by, but what is your life motto? Ooh, that's a really good one. Um, I would say if I had to have a mantra, it would be be kind above all else, but take no shit. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, before we get to my last question, I also, one thing that Dalton said, your friend, um, which I just thought was awesome. He described you as a silent ninja. And I want to know. He said that? He said that. And I want to know Aww. if you can think why. 
<laughs> I love them, seriously. Um, why would he say that? I guess, I guess maybe he says that because maybe it comes back to the um, don't judge a book by its cover mm-hmm. sort of thing. You know, right off the bat when I meet people, I'm usually super loud, super energetic, super bubbly. I feel like I definitely give off the camp counselor vibe. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the that's a double-edged sword, right? On one hand, it brings everybody in. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, on the dark side of that, it brings everybody in. Mm. So, you know, when if someone comes in, you know, kind of like the story I mentioned, who kind of messes with your energy. Mm. Um, sometimes you got to be able to flip the script and, you know, bring out your ninja stars and say, absolutely not. Wow. <laughs> so that's, that's where your so, ninja yeah. stars come out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Be kind that. and take no shit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and as you know, the title of my podcast is Statement Mondays, interviews with women who wear heels to work. And so for the sake of this podcast, heels is a metaphor for your strength or a trait or a tool, something that gives you confidence. And that really makes Emma, Emma. So my last question to you is what are your heels? Oh, that's a good question. So if I would have to say something tangible, um, I would probably say my, my glasses. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so all you listeners, they're, uh, they're these great blue light kind of aviator glasses that I commented on <laughs> immediately when I, when I, we started a video call. <laughs> <laughs> What's a designer without a cool pair of glasses, right? It's so true. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, so they're, they're new glasses actually. So they're gold Ray-Ban aviators and they got the transitions in there. I'll take a picture and send them to you. Cause when they transition outside, they turn to gold lenses. Oh, cool. Which is super dope. Um, Classic designer. But, yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. So I feel like physically that's definitely part of my personality because it's, you know, it's fun and it's cool, but it's also functional. Right. So they're mm-hmm. my, my reading glasses and all that. Mm-hmm. But and then I guess I would say something that isn't tangible that I would kind of say is my heels would probably be what I like to call elegant tenacity. Whoa. OK. <laughs> Where did that come from? So, you know, I think that kind of came from. It was really random. But so I remember I was in fifth grade and we were having, you know, like you'll have like those culture weeks and you learn about different cultures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we had one where we learned about Japan and, um, you know, they were talking about how koi fish in Japanese culture represent um, elegant perseverance. Wow. I didn't know that. So that's always stuck with me. And um, yeah, so I guess I would just kind of say like elegant tenacity, elegant perseverance, um, kind of that mantra of like having that strength, but also having that fluidity and flexibility mm-hmm. it's a really good combo and that keeps you going that keeps the fish swimming down the river <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much emma for talking with me today oh my gosh thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to kind of just you know share all these things that was emma Kalajian. i just loved talking with emma because one we are very similar And two, she just had one good story after another. Honestly, it was pretty hard to decide what I should talk about in this debrief because there was just so much good content. But what I've settled on is this idea of holding all the keys and proving people wrong. So to start, let's touch on what she said a few minutes ago about holding all the keys. It took Emma a while to start taking responsibility for the amazing things that she's accomplished. 
It's easy, especially as women, to attribute good things to others and attribute mistakes to ourselves. I definitely do that. Uh, but if I don't respect and appreciate myself, I won't own the things that I've done to achieve my goals. And in turn, I won't respect myself and on and on and on in this vicious cycle. Moral of the story, own your successes and don't give away your keys so easily. If you don't get a job you were shooting for, change your perspective. Take your key back and accept that it likely wasn't a good fit mutually, not just on your side. Now shifting to my second point, Emma is dead set on proving people wrong. She's a woman who loves and actually knows a ton about cars, which is not something you might assume right away when you look at her. She's a strong example that the desire to prove something is a huge and an effective motivator, and for her it's become a lifestyle and is the foundation for her new initiatives around introducing girls to cars early on. So this is all fine and dandy, you know, great, as long as you turn this desire into something productive. And hint, hint, not self-sabotage. Just don't let it get in the way of what you actually want to do. So this is separate from Emma, but I mentioned I also love being unexpected and proving people wrong. And so my example here is, in college, I was so determined to prove myself as a hardcore engineer, to prove myself as an engineer Basically, I wanted to be taken seriously and just prove that I could be one. And so I decided to go as deep as I possibly could. I took the hardest track in my degree. Um, I did artificial intelligence within computer science. And I rejected the easier but truly more practical classes like databases, app design, and user research that's super relevant to a lot of tech companies today. And I only took the hardcore stuff. And then when I started my first job, I was so torn between doing the hardest thing, which is what I was used to and I always defaulted to, versus figuring out what I was actually interested in. So now, a few years later, I'm doing more of the visual user-facing engineering, definitely not as stereotypically hardcore as AI, but I'm really enjoying it and so much more than had I gone that more hardcore route just for the credibility and just to prove that I could. Frankly, I have a healthier perspective on my career because I've gotten out of my own way. So lots to, lots to unpack there. I mean, it was crazy to even realize this, but I'll leave you at that. Two final things I want to say before we end this episode. I'm fascinated by this idea Emma talks about of balancing your feminine and your masculine energies. But I really know nothing about it. So I'll see what I can find, and I'll post my research in the show notes on statementmondays.com in case you're interested in learning more. And remember how I said I wanted to explore Nashville and she told me to come through? Well, I just got to Nashville, I'm here for a month, and I just got to meet Emma for the first time in person. She is every bit as incredible in person as she was in this interview. And since this recording, Emma's been working on starting her own media company called Spicy Carrot that focuses on providing educational content on the future of mobility, specifically innovations in automotive and aerospace, in a way that is entertaining and more inclusive of the feminine energy. Go Emma! Awesome. So if you like the content you just listened to here, follow or subscribe to this podcast and also let me know what exactly you like. And if you didn't like it, also let me know. You can reach out on Instagram to our account at Statement Mondays. 
I really love hearing from you guys. And remember, be bold. Today is Statement Monday. I'm Natalie Munster. My intern is Mallory Pilon, and my audio engineer is Martin Munster. You can learn more about me and Statement Mondays at statementmondays.com, or as I mentioned, follow us on Instagram at Statement Mondays. I'll see you next Monday. Bye!